This is Geek 4, a podcast about fans, fandom, and fan culture. I'm Dr. Michael Boyce. Everyone likes something, but what are you a geek for? The best comedy requires work on Inside Jokes, Monty Python, and the value of comedy. The last time I was visiting my parents, Monty Python's The Life of Brian was playing on television one evening, and although I can and sometimes do recite the film from memory, I decided to watch. My mother, I suspect more from a desire to spend time with me than an interest in Monty Python's comic masterpiece, decided to join me. I don't think you're going to like it, I warned. It's a comedy. Oh, I'm sure I will. Dear reader, she did not. You listen here! He's not the Messiah! He's a very naughty boy! Now go away! The whole experience got me thinking about sense of humor, specifically my sense of humor, how it developed or regressed over time, and how, if I were to map it out, most of my sense of humor can be traced back to Monty Python. I don't recall when I started liking comedies. I think I just always have. Growing up in the 1980s, I watched a ton of sitcoms. Family Ties, Night Court, reruns of Barney Miller, Different Strokes, and about a dozen other 30-minute shows. In terms of movies, I was drawn to stuff like Ghostbusters, Caddyshack, Crocodile Dundee, and Short Circuit. Sure, the Dukes of Hazzard, Knight Rider, The A-Team, and Star Wars featured prominently in my viewing rotation, but comedies were usually my first choice. Looking back, not all these comedies were especially funny. At best, they relied on likable characters and familiar situations. At worst, gross stereotypes, formulaic plots, and pratfalls. Most didn't require or expect a lot from their audience. Audio footnote. Many of my favorite comedies, comedians, and comedy groups combine different types of humor physical humor, wordplay, absurdism, satire, social commentary. The Marx Brothers, The Kids in the Hall, Mystery Science Theater 3000 are all funny on several different levels at the same time. I'm not a big fan of the Three Stooges. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you might realize that I'm a bit obsessive when it comes to my fandoms. I fully and proudly embrace the label geek. When I get interested in something, I tend to go all in. It wasn't until I discovered Monty Python when I was in high school that my enjoyment of comedy and my geeky tendencies overlapped, leading me down a long and complicated road of humor. I can't remember when I first saw a Monty Python film, or what film it was. I suspect Holy Grail. But I remember the feeling I had while watching it. It was funny. That much was clear. But I didn't get all the jokes. There's a Henry James quotation that my friend and advisor George Tolles uses to describe how he approaches teaching, and it sums up what I think. Try to be one of those on whom nothing is lost. I was driven by a desire to understand the jokes that were happening in front of me, not to be left out of the conversation because of my own ignorance. At least in terms of comedy, my high school self 
set out to make sure nothing was lost on me. So if I saw a sketch about Oscar Wilde trying and failing to be witty, and dear reader, I did, I wanted to know all I could about Oscar Wilde. If there was a sketch about Greek philosophers playing soccer against German philosophers, and dear reader, there was, I wanted to know at least a little bit about who Wittgenstein, Kant, and Plato were. Sure, there were absurdist moments or slapstick humor that didn't require a familiarity with medieval romance or classical philosophy, but many of Monty Python's sketches and films expected the audience to have a solid understanding of history, art, literature, politics, religion, and philosophy. In any way, I wish to register a complete... Understanding the comedy required some work. There's something appealing about being on the inside of a joke. When something is funny because of the work you've put in, you got the reference, the illusion, the context, and you laughed. But not everyone does. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that one of the reasons I have an ability to talk intelligently about a number of topics is because of the work I put into understanding the humor of Monty Python. All that work gave me a solid foundation of knowledge on which to draw, and it gave me the confidence to know that if I'm in a situation where I don't understand what's being talked about, I can learn and figure it out. In my desire to get that humor, I put just as much work into tracking down whatever videos, records, tapes, and later CDs I could find. I read whatever I could about the members of Monty Python and learned about their solo works. I scoured video stores, record shops, and bookstores for Monty Python material. I scoured video stores, record shops, and bookstores for Monty Python material. In the pre-internet era, there wasn't an easily accessible database to check which records were official albums, which were bootlegs, and which were money-grabbing compilations of repackaged material put out by producers. I bought whatever I could and still have an impressive collection of the stuff. I soon traced an intricate web of British comedy that was all connected to and through Monty Python and their Uxbridge roots. Monty Python led me to John Cleese's Faulty Towers, which is perhaps my favorite sitcom. John Cleese's solo project, How to Irritate People, led me to Tim Brooke Taylor and the goodies. Monty Python Live at the Hollywood Bowl led me to the Ruttles and Neil Inns. My greatest discovery, I think, was the Secret Policeman's Ball Concerts, which John Cleese helped establish in 1976 to raise money for Amnesty International. Audio footnote. Although the series is now commonly referred to as the Secret Policeman's Balls, it was the third concert in 1979 that first used that title. The idea behind these initial concerts was simple. Gather several generations of British comedians and let them be funny to raise money for a good cause. A comedy nerd's dream. These concerts featured a few beloved members of Monty Python. Cleese, Michael Palin, Terry Jones, Graham Chapman all appeared in various shows, as well as their contemporaries, like the aforementioned Tim Brooke Taylor. It was also the comedians who influenced them, members of the groundbreaking Beyond the Fringe group, Alan Bennett, Jonathan Miller, and Peter Cook and a whole new generation of young British comedians who had been influenced by the Pythons, Mel Smith, Pamela Stevenson, and a young Rowan Atkinson. 
None of my Python fan friends had heard of this stuff. Most of them didn't know the other performers, but we soon wore the tapes of those concerts out. These shows were particularly special, as sketches used comedians from different groups and different generations. John Cleese appeared in Beyond the Fringe sketches with Peter Cook. Rowan Atkinson appeared with Jones, Cleese, and Chapman in Python sketches. It was a comedy all-star game. By bringing these shows to my friend's attention, I found myself on the inside in a whole other way. I'd gone beyond simply trying to understand the jokes. I was now the person others relied on to introduce them to good comedy. I delighted in the rarefied position of connoisseur. Friends and acquaintances would look to me to introduce them to something funny that they hadn't seen before. I enjoyed figuring out what specific things different friends might like. What would best match their sense of humor? Not everyone gets the young ones, but most people laughed at Mr. Bean. Audio footnote. I was recently looking through my old high school yearbooks. In my final year, no fewer than five people specifically thanked me for introducing them to Mr. Bean, which had only just become available in North America. This, no doubt, says terrible things about my reputation. Those concerts pointed to a dozen different pathways for me to follow over the years, as I continued to seek out good comedy, for myself and for others. The work of Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, Blackadder, Mr. Bean, Fry and Laurie, French and Saunders, Mitchell and Webb. They also led, somewhat meanderingly, to the influential American stand-up comedy of the 1970s and 80s. Steve Martin, George Carlin, Richard Pryor, Robin Williams, and the criminally underappreciated Albert Brooks. Each of these figures required their audience to do some work. Not all the comedians required as much specialized knowledge as the Pythons seemed to. But their jokes weren't always easy, often expecting a solid understanding of sociopolitical events, pop culture, or forms of comedy. They made sure that their audiences confronted uncomfortable truths about expectation, about racism, sexism, drug addiction, poverty. I love this type of comedy because it encourages me to confront preconceived notions, to consider other perspectives, to support social justice, and to just laugh at the often ridiculousness of life. After watching Life of Brian with my mom, I revisited those Amnesty International concerts, now all complete and officially curated on the Amnesty International YouTube channel. There were actually some sketches from those early shows I'd never seen before, as they'd been left off the commercially available versions I'd found. The series continues to run annually with new generations of comedy stars performing. Seeing those early concerts reminded me again just how much I've learned from comedy and the value it brought to my life. All the things I've learned so that I was sure to get the joke and helped others to get the joke too. A version of this essay appears in Always Look Up and Other Wisdom from Geek Culture That Changed My Life, Area of Effect, Volume 2, from Mythos and Inc. I'll post a link in the show notes. I'm so grateful to Mythos and Inc., specifically Allison and Kyle, for permission to do this audio version of the essay. Look, matey, this parrot wouldn't boom if I put 4,000 bolts through it. Thank you for joining me on Geek 4. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Geek4Pod or me on Twitter at MWBoyce. If you listen on Apple Podcast, click the subscribe button and consider leaving a five-star review. 
Be sure to join us next time when we learn what someone else is a geek for.